win every game, go 82-0. The only Mavericks podcast, without a podcast around, would you even know? The only Mavericks podcast, the night is long without some audio. The only Mavericks podcast, look there, a podcast shaped hole. This is the only Mavericks podcast in the world. Hello, welcome to the only Mavericks podcast. I'm Tim Cato, right and talk about the Mavericks. We've got Austin Guria. It's just us two tonight. Uh, Wednesday evening, All-Star break is over. Luka Doncic is back with um, what appears to be a little bit of a tan. That's what I saw at today's, tonight's practice anyway. Um, just want to go through some, some big picture questions that we have for the Mavericks throughout the rest of the season. Uh, how does that sound? I think that's what the people expect of us. I think second half of the season, all-star break, unless, unless you want to do an entire pod on how we can fix the all-star game forever. Is that, is that <laughs> not why we're here? Well, I mean, very similar to how we're the only Mavericks podcast. We would be the only, uh, basketball focused podcast to, uh, discuss something like that uh, absolutely no no one else is doing it no one else is trying to be a product no manager for the enough. nba yeah no one else is brave enough to yeah. do it to take it on i i just i just think why does it matter why do why do we care if it's good uh, and also why is there a, a horse competition it's true i i i, I couldn't care less about the nba all-star weekend <laughs> i'm not a management consultant i'm not an nba executive i'm not an nba product manager i don't i don't need their next tv deal to be good just just give me the basketball. It's fine. It's uh, vacation. I'm, uh, not, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to ruin someone else's PTO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, here, here's, a, here's a tiny plug. I, I did go on the Athletic NBA show and talk, and talk about it there. And um, I don't really say this on the NBA show, but I can say it on this podcast. Um, I watched about maybe 45 combined seconds of the entire All-Star Weekend. I was at a wedding. You know, it just wasn't like I, I was doing things. Um, but they wanted me to hop on the pod, and, and I did it. Honestly, I think it turned out pretty well. I, I did have some thoughts. I'm a Twitter addict, and so I knew what the discourse was. Um, but yeah, the, the same kind of blase attitude that I think both of us have, I, I expressed with a little bit more nuance on, on the pod, albeit without watching a single second of it. But you know what? That's what good podcasting is. That's ex- I've exactly. Watched Exactly. I, I have watched every recent second of the Mavericks over the past week, which is zero of them. Um, but that's not my fault. You know, I haven't played games. Uh, they're back tomorrow against the Phoenix Suns. Let's just start with the rotation. And Dante Exum isn't quite back. Hopefully, the plan is, uh, Jason Kidd said, he will be back at some point this road trip, where that's the hope. Uh, he went through a non-contact practice uh, today. He's, he's still a little ways out. And I, and I do think that... Um, you know, just based off these two injuries that he's had back to back, you're probably bringing him back in like a 20 minute per game role when, when he does come back and and you've got to also get him back to where he was. There's no guarantee. He's just going to, in fact, when he did briefly come back, he was not just instantly that, uh, level of, of, he didn't have that level of impactfulness that he did in December when we were swooning over him, uh, rightfully so to be clear, but I think that's a good place to start because we've kind of seen just a little bit, you know, a little glimpse of what the rotation is going to look like uh, post trade deadline. Um, you know, finally got lively back on a minutes restriction. 
Axum is still the the kind of question, and where like where should his minutes come from? Um, because they have to come from someone. Uh, like it's top of your head. What is what does your gut say? Whose minutes does Dante need to take in the grand scheme of the rotation? I think he'll end up taking Derek Jones Jr.'s minutes, and also I think he'll take some of Tim Hardaway's minutes. Uh, I think he'll end up being a bench player. I think Josh was a much better player once Exum went down has been much more the player I think people thought he was going to be. And I think kind of, I think he's earned that starting spot. And I think it might be a little more natural for Exum to come off the bench, kind of be that third guard. Um, also, now that they have Gaff, I think Gafford also affects the rotation pretty significantly because now Maxi doesn't play as many minutes at the five, he plays more minutes at the four behind PJ Washington. And I expect PJ Washington to pay, play a lot of minutes. Um, so there's really there's not that many minutes to go around. Jaden Hardy has been also good. I, don't, I feel bad for Jaden Hardy because I think he's he's played well and he might just get a lot of DMPs down the stretch to no fall of his own. Um, but yeah, I think primarily I think Derek Jones Jr. might start getting some some DNPs or some games where he plays between five and ten minutes. I think especially because he's struggled from behind the three point arc as of late. His skill set is just much less needed once they have Exum, Josh. And uh, and PJ Washington on on the wing. I still think he's their best point of attack defender for certain type of types of bigger wings. Kind yeah. of kind of the the pure threes, you know. Like like he's not you, you're not throwing him out there on on Paolo Banchero, but at the same time, you know Dante Exum, even PJ Washington. PJ Washington is interesting because he can scale up, but I think. You know, like the Jeremy Grant types, I, I still think that, uh, you know, Derek Jones Jr. is probably the best defender. You said that his minutes, though, are going to come from from Jones, um, you know, and from Tim Hardaway Jr. And the thing is, even without Dante Exum in the rotation, both of those guys have been reduced uh, in in how much they've played. Uh, you know, the last three games, you know, the three games since the trade deadline, since, since the players were available. Uh, Dante, uh, sorry, Derek Jones Jr. has played... 23 minutes, 12 minutes, and 19 minutes. And Tim Hardaway has played a little bit more, but 25 minutes, 22 minutes, 26 minutes, that's still less than he had been getting uh, for the most part, you know, outside of like that 0 of 8 Philadelphia game. Um, and, and so I, I agree that Jaden Hardy is, unfortunately, for, for his sake and how well he's been playing, that's probably going to be the breaking case of emergency, nobody else is hitting threes type of guy. Um Maybe you can make an argument that he should take some of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s spots, but yeah. I just don't think. I mean, I think I think you can make that argument. I don't know how well that actually works in the grand scheme of a of a locker room and and you know the expectations that are within it for someone like Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, I, I do think that Tim Hardaway Jr. should get capped at twenty minutes if he's not being effective. Um, you know, maybe a little bit less than that, but I, I think he's going to get his twenty minutes per game. Um, and I, th- I think that's just the reality of how things work. And so if you know his minutes are still kind of there and already falling a little bit, if Derek Jones is there, I, I think that there might be some minutes where Josh Green has has to be pulled back just a little bit. Um, you know, if Exum deserves it, and that's the whole question. You know, maybe there's only 15 minutes a night for Dante Exum. Um, you know, if if he isn't being, you know, I still think, you know, remember like remember back at the the start of the season, we were asking is Exum the player we thought Josh Green was going to be, right? Yeah. We were I, we, like we were asking that question. I still think he has a a different role to play than Josh Green just because he's a role point guard and they do need a third 
ball handler that has a legitimate point guard to he'll also I think Exum I think actually another important person that he'll take minutes from he'll take minutes from Luca he'll take minutes from Luca and Kyrie because they will no longer have to play 40 minutes a game they can play 33 minutes a game 35 minutes a game because they don't have to you know have the ball the entire time because Exum can can run the offense for a few minutes a game Josh Josh has been really good of late I still think that the Exum we saw in December is a better fit next to Kyrie and Luca. Yeah. Is that, yeah, that, I is mean, that fair? I and th- again, I we think that's see fair. If you can get back there. Yeah, I think, I think but, that's fair. I think defensively Dante is a little bit better. I think Josh is a, a little more, a little better of a shooter off the ball, uh, a little more, a little more dynamic. I think he's a better corner shooter, but I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a really good, healthy competition between the two of them. I think, They'll push each other for those minutes, but it's it's a good competition. They they are kind of neck and neck for who's who is playing and who's in the best form in the second half of the season. I don't think it's really who's the better player. I think it's who's playing the best at that time, and that's something we'll have to wait and see. I think that's something with Josh that we've seen throughout his career is that sometimes he can go through little slumps or places where he, he loses confidence, and he can't lose confidence if he's getting pressured for minutes by by Dante Exum. Yeah, and I think he should keep starting. To be very clear, you know, because because of all because of the confidence, because of that, I, I think if everybody is playing their absolute best, and of course they're not, and you make adjustments based off that. But I do like that Dante Exum, Josh Green, PJ Washington, and Derek Jones Jr. all are best guarding a specific type of one A attacker, right? Yeah, like Exum against the quicker guards, um, Josh Green against. Somebody smaller guards We've talked about his. T- yeah, he was pretty good against Brunson. If there's a lot of other Brunson guards, <laughs> that's true. No, 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 no. He he is. He has his moments. I like. I'm still so confused. He still gets. He, he's a very confusing. He's a player. Very confusing. He still dies on screens, but he he has his talents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's definitely. I, I think you're 100 percent right. It's it's Brunson like players who are a little bit shorter, a little bit you know not lightning quick, but also not off ball guards. Like he can really bother them we talked about Derek Jones and how you know these you know kind of more classic threes or skinny fours uh, I, I do think that he's well suited to play those guys and then PJ Washington we saw that he was uh, pretty good the other night against um, oh I'm totally blinking uh, Wimby yeah they threw yeah. out against Wimby he and, was really good you know he is somebody that you can play a you know a more of a small ball or, or just like you know, he is a strong guy, but he's athletically strong. You know, he, he is plays bigger than what Grant Williams did. And and so I think they have a lot of mixing and matching. And I think that, you know, Jason Kidd is going to earn his money if, if he's able to figure out the right permutations. Because I, I do think that maybe for the first time in his tenure, you know, outside of last year where he just had no good options. Now he has a lot of good options, but he's got to figure out which right good option makes sense for the specific matchups in the specific game. Yeah, and you forgot their best defender, their best defender in isolation. Lu- Are you going to say Maxi? No, Luka Doncic. But, but- Luka Doncic, okay. Well, <laughs> I, should have, I should have picked up on your goddamn tone. Best of their best defender in isolation by points per possession, Luka Doncic. Their best spot defender, I have no idea how, but <laughs> by points per possession is Luka. Uh, he had a, a best post defender. He he might be, according to the analytics, which we know Luka loves analytics. Their their best individual defender. <laughs> uh, and then and then Maxi, uh, you mentioned him briefly, but 
he might be a better option as a four at times. You know, I, that he, that might take some of uh, some of PJ Washington's minutes. I think know, he'll if, play if a lot sees. of four. I think he's going to play primarily more four than he plays five. Well, that that actually blends into my next question. Here's here's my second question for you. Um, and I feel like I have pushed some counter narratives very lightly about Derek Lively. And I just want to be very clear. This is a very good player. You know, his plus minus, like the team is so clearly better with him on the court. I do want to see what Derek Lively looks like in the postseason. It's not anything that Derek Lively has done, but it is an understanding of what, you know, drop uh, non-shooting bigs typically do in the postseason. I think that is, you know, and, and if Lively isn't that good in the postseason, it's not a huge indictment, but I do want to see what he looks like. And I do want to see if, if he can hold up when, you know, teams are going to, uh, you know, try to switch on him more or try to abuse him if, if he's not switching because, you know, there's some five-out lineups that, you know, that they're going to face in the postseason that are going to be able to do that. And if he can't hold up great, the way that he's going to make up for it is just by spamming the offensive glass. Uh, I, I think that is an advantage. And here in a second, we'll talk postseason seeding, and I can kind of go through it by matchup. But I'm not a hater to say this, that I want to see what a non-stretch five looks like in the postseason because this is the history this is you know what postseason ball is about and we've seen even players like Gobert who play and have effectiveness you know are sometimes not as you know they don't bring the same impact in the postseason yeah I think it'll be very it'll be matchup dependent I think it'll depend on if they do play a five out team if that team is actually a real five out team or they're playing a center that you really don't have to respect Um, but I think what was really instructive, I think, in the Spurs game was that Lively is still more of a dynamic and more versatile defender than, than Gafford. I think Gafford struggled a little bit in that game, and it was pretty instant. It was pretty clear once Lively came on. It's like, oh, this guy can he can switch better. He can play play up play high on the on the pick and roll as as well as being a good drop defender. And I think what affords allows him to have some some leeway and some room to make mistakes is that Maxi's playing well now, and they can play Maxi at the five, and they know that that's effective. They're going to play a team that's playing five out and it's not all, all the pressure isn't on Derek Lively to be perfect. And I think that's one of the best things about the gaffer trade and about Maxi playing better is that they're no longer solely reliant on him to like figure it out as a 20 year old in his first playoff series. But I, I, th- I think, especially if they play someone like OKC or they play, you know, Minnesota, I think he'll play well. Uh, I think maybe a team like, like playing against Jokic probably gets his lunch eaten. Um, or they they play maybe like the Clippers and they play a five out system. Maybe that's something that he he doesn't handle well. But I think it is again just very very matchup dependent for him. But he's also I think a player we've seen that adapts really well and learns on the fly. And I'm I'm also interested to see what he looks like in a playoff series. Yeah, I I love to. <laughs> Uh, one of the recent articles I wrote on the Athletic, I, someone asked me about this, and I kind of I kind of went through it in a comment. And so, let me lay this out. I'm going to half read, half summarize what what I was thinking last week. Which I think OKC, you want to big ball them. We saw that that was the most effective thing when Dallas just beat um, Oklahoma City, uh, you know, a few games ago. But they play they play five out, but. They still, you know, because Chet is not the biggest guy, you want to dominate the offensive glass against them. I think that's where you get an advantage. You don't want to match them five out. I think you want to big ball them. Yeah. Um, 
Lively absolutely is better than Gafford uh, when you need a center to make plays out of the short roll. Um, and that might be something, you know, against the Clippers or against Denver. Um, you know, you're going tra- to try to entice, uh, you know, their their centers up into the screening action and have Lively slip it and have Lively able to make a play, you know, if they do blitz or, or trap. If you're playing Phoenix, I think you're going to see a lot more guard-guard, guard-wing pick-and-rolls because you want players like Booker, Beal, Grayson Allen, you want them directly involved in the direct screening actions. Whereas against the Clippers, they're big two through four, not a lot of good targets. Against Denver, that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, you're obviously going to target Jamal Murray at times, but you're not going to target uh, KCP or, or Aaron Gordon in the same way. And so that's where you kind of you know, in, in, in those, in those settings, you might not have as much use for, you know, against Phoenix, you might not have as much use for lively. Um, you know, especially if they drive Nurkic out of the game early, uh, because all of a sudden now you're guarding wing wing. And so your only option with lively, if that's what you're spamming is to put him in the dunker spot and that might clog things up. So that's yeah. a situation where I could see Maxi coming into the game. Um, Minnesota is an interesting case. I don't know which way Minnesota would go for the team because it, you know, we've seen the best way to neutralize Gobert is to pull him out in a five out look. That might be the way to go, but maybe you play him direct. Maybe you feel like, you know, in the past, you know, in 2022, Dallas did not have sinners that could really match Gobert. And so that's why Maxi was so effective. Do you think Lively or Gaffer can really like, you know, neutralize that advantage that uh, Gobert gives you? Um, or are Kyrie and Luka good enough that they can neutralize Gobert, you know, being near the rim, uh, you know, as you keep a five, and that helps your offense on the other end? I don't know. Um, Clippers, Pelican, Suns, um, you know, we talked about the Suns a little bit. All three of those teams, we talked about the Clippers a little bit. I'm, I'm repeating myself a little bit. Uh, but that's how these go, you know? Like, it just depends. Like, Clippers, Pelicans, Suns all have slow centers that you probably want to keep on the floor. You don't want to go five out until they choose to go away from five out because you probably have an advantage five out against a Nurkic, against a Valanchunas, against a uh, uh, Zubac. And so a lot of, you know, hopefully I've fleshed out, like, there's a lot of moving parts, and it's going to be something that they have to adjust to. Um, you know, and it's no longer just a debate between Lively or Gafford. Um, you know, it's a debate of like, is there a big center on the floor? Uh, are we running one, five pick and rolls? Or are we running one, three pick and rolls? Um, is it lively and Kleber? Is it Gafford and Kleber? Is it just Kleber? Uh, you know, are they going to go with, uh, you know, a, just a straight traditional five man and, and, and try to, you know, run down their throats and, and hit the corner every time. So, you can go around in circles, and until we know the actual matchup, you know that's, you know that's when you can really dive more into it because every matchup that would possibly present itself would offer you, offer permutations. That was a lot of talking for me. Let me shut up. My only question for you is like, all the nuances of that aside, which playoff teams do you look at right now in the West that are above Dallas that you would want to see in the first or second round? I'd like to see OKC. I think OKC, they match up with well. They have a lot of guys who just haven't been there before outside of Shea. Um, I think it's just a good matchup for Dallas. They can play big. Dallas, I think Dallas can play the way that they want to play. They can dictate the terms of engagement in that series and dictate the way that series goes. 
Um, I, feel, I fully agree with that. I think Chad is perf- I think their center rotation is perfect to go up against Chad as good as he is. Yeah, yeah, and I think they have the bodies to throw at Shea, and I think Luke is the best player in that series, and you also have Kyrie. I think that's just it's a they can outscore them, and I think they can listen to defend them credibly. Also, if they play Josh Giddy like they did the last game, <laughs> I think that'll be a real problem for OKC. Um, Josh Giddy will be playing so few minutes in the postseason. He will not be playing. That will be his last. Might yeah, be he his, might not be playing. He might not be playing. He might get a DMP. If I could bet on D- Josh getting a DMP in a playoff series, I would absolutely bet on that. Um, I think the other team is as good as they are. I think the Mavs have played Minnesota really well, and Minnesota doesn't have the perimeter firepower, I think, to really punish the Mavericks. And I think now having Gafford and Lively to go against Gobert and go against Towns and having Maxi also is just kind of as throwing him in there in that front record rotation. I think Luka and Kyrie can really overpower them with their scoring ability and their ability to play against drop coverage. Um, I think that's a good matchup for them, even though it will be difficult. It's not, I don't think it's a, it would be an easy series for them, but I think it's a series that they, that they could win and they could win in maybe six. Um, to 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 our earlier point about like how many different perimeter defenders they have, Dallas has. Like I think Derek Jones would be the best guy to put on Anthony uh, Anthony Edwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make an argument for P, but but I think PJ Washington might not be laterally quick enough to to quite live up to that. You know, situational and you know, obviously if it's PJ Washington, you're going to see a lot more. You know, if it's Derek Jones, you're going to see and in the post more often. Um, but that's an example where, like, if he can figure out his offense, all of a sudden he might be jumping up to 25, 30 minutes a night in that series for a specific purpose of his ability to guard that type of player, um, whereas Exum or Josh Green might get a little overwhelmed just by Edwards' strength. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the Clippers, I just don't want to see them. Clippers, number one. I, I actually might want to see Denver over the Clippers. I. <laughs> I just don't I don't want to play Tyloo in a series ever again. Don't want to play Kawhi in a series ever again. Their team is rolling. They they know they don't have a lot of weaknesses. They're very, very um versatile. They can play big, they can play small, and they have a guy that's been there before and knows how to do it and can go toe for toe with Luca in a series. I just I just don't want to do that. Personally, I just don't want to see that again. <laughs> and and I think it would I mean, be a, it would be a very tough time. Yeah, I think I said on this podcast, I mean, I, I see three contenders in the league. You know, shout out to everybody else who is doing great. Shout out to Cleveland. Shout out to, you know, what Philly did before. But, you know, even even if Embiid comes back, I don't, I don't see them as better than Boston. And it's the Clippers and the Nuggets on the other side. And I'm only saying the Nuggets out of respect. They have not quite looked. It's more than out of respect. I mean, we, we know they can do it, and we know that, you know, they, they can come together. But those are the three teams that I fear. And right now... I would I would also face Denver over uh, the Clippers because you know Denver Denver looks a little uh, you know short in its rotation yeah. and and plus you know what better way for uh, you know Denver just comes out and beats Dallas and then all of a sudden maybe Luca will end up there <laughs> that would be bittersweet. You think you think Luca likes the mountains? You think he's a you think he knows how to snowboard? I mean. The mountains and the beach are two hours away in Slovenia, so I think he likes a little bit of everything. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you kind of you kind of here here in a here in America, you kind of got to pick one or the other. I don't know, I, I but I think playing at a mile out altitude probably harder to play with a hangover in Denver. You know, 
I fully, I fully trust that uh, that Luca has passed that when it when it matters, like stuff, stuff like that. <laughs> um, let's see. You're about good on on all that. Is there any other teams we need to cover? I think those are the I think those are the four solidified top four. Unless something catastrophic happens, I think those are going to be the first the, the top four, and they couldn't really play anybody else on. in the. Uh, um, Phoenix doesn't concern me too much. Who are you? They, I mean, they're good. They're very good. They're very they're good. It would be a very good. fun season. For season. Very, very fun series. But I don't think Phoenix is going to go on a run to go get into the top four. I just don't think they're going to stay healthy enough. Yeah, and I guess I'm just talking about even general. Even, even generally, like, like I could see, um, you know, I think we both think Dallas can win a first-round series. And so I think that they, I think they match up well with Phoenix because I don't think Phoenix has the horses to guard Luca and, um, in Kyrie for an entire series. Yeah. Much like they didn't have the horses to guard, you know, just Luca, you know, a couple of years ago. They still don't have, you know, un, you know, it's different than the Clippers. Like they, they don't have enough size two to four, I think, to affect them enough. New Orleans is a weird team that I don't have figured out, and so I don't really know Same. how to compare them. I kind of don't want to see them. Doesn't, I agree. Yeah, New Orleans is actually scarier in they, a weird way. They're just than, yeah, they're weird. They got a lot of size. They can really junk up games. I don't. They're not a team I'd really like to see in a playoff series because they can play in a lot of different ways. I, I mean, I think Luca is obviously the best player in that series, but they can be physical and they can junk up the game. And I've Zion has literally never played in a playoff series, so we'll have to see how that goes. But there, I wouldn't be excited to play them. I wouldn't be scared, but I also I wouldn't be jumping for joy to to see them in a series. Okay, a couple quick questions I have for the rest of the season. We we'll go through these a little little speedier. Um, can PJ Washington shoot? Any he, thoughts? He shot it well in college. <laughs> he shot it well his first two years. In the league, shot it poorly when but again, they lost Lamelo. He's on like a three-season-long slump. It's I, so weird. I think one of the years the Lamelo wasn't there and he was hurt. But yeah, yeah, no, he was. I also I don't see anything like wrong with his jumper. Uh, it, weird player. It's, I, wait and see. I he has a history of like he has shot it well. He hasn't shot it well recently, but I, there at least is evidence that he can shoot it well over a long period of time. And he doesn't have anything glaringly wrong with his jumper. He has nice touch from floater range. I, I don't really know why he would be a bad shooter, but he has not shot it well in the last year or two. Yeah, I think at minimum he's going to be streaky. And as long as he keeps taking them and as long as he's streaky, if, if he can pop for a six or seven three-point makes, even if he only does that one out of ten games, and even if, even if he's only shooting like 34% overall, like that's all you need to keep the spacing that you know he's going to bring and make him, you know, good enough offensively with everything else he can bring. Luka Doncic, MVP case. They'd have to go Is on there a, any chance he gets into it? They have to go on a special run. They got to go 20, I think it's, they have 30 games left? 29 games left? I believe so, yeah. If they go 23 and 6, he can win MVP. But he's got to crack top four. Somebody in the top four has to fall out and he's got to go be special for the last half of the season. It's a weird MVP year. I think Shea, Shea might get it, like 
by default, but I also don't feel like Shea is the clear-cut MVP. It's it's really a bummer that MB got hurt because he really should have been the MVP this season. And there's not really another player that's made a good that has a good strong narrative for MVP. So I think if Luca, if they go on a really nice team run, kind of similar to 2022, where they just won at a 60 game rate for the last after the uh, after the All Star break, I think he can do it. But it's it's about team success more than what Luca does in the second half. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it, how much of the the various narratives of like why he doesn't get more respect do you do you align with? I think he, he like I think there is something to the fact that he was good so early that he's just kind of expected to put up these stats. But at the same time, we've got to remember that like as as crazy as what is he what is he at thirty nine and nine uh, thirty four nine and nine yeah. Um, yeah, 34, 9, and 8. No, 9, and 9. It's looking at defensive rebounds. As crazy as that is, yes, we are in an era of inflated, flats, inflated stats and what those numbers, when compared to the other candidates, do not look you know, quite like they would have even, even four years ago. Yeah, I think I think we, there's a little Luka fatigue, which is a shame because he hasn't even won MVP yet, and they they just haven't won enough. I think also like if their record was better, they were in a they weren't in the technically in the play-in. Thinking his nerve would be stronger. I think there's a, I think also people have kind of just you know gotten used to Luka being first team All NBA. When you're first team All NBA four years in a row, five, five years in a row, four this will be the fifth year in a row. He was going to be a first team All NBA. Everyone's yeah. just kind of used to what he's doing. He scored 73 points, and the reaction was very strange and odd to me for someone who scored 73 points on crazy efficiency. <laughs> it's one of the greatest scoring games. It's the third best scoring game of all time, and it was on dumb, stupid efficiency. Um, and it didn't really push him, like, but it didn't really push his narrative. He had 50 and 15 on Christmas, and I thought that was going to kind of push his MVP case, like, in a narrative way. And that really has kind of gotten forgotten and no one has remembered, like scoring 50 for him is just like nothing now. Um, so that's why I think for him in the second half of the season, it's just about being, the team being good. If the team is good. Kyrie is there. They're winning a lot of games. They're pushing up in the standings. I think he'll start to get that respect. But until then, I think he's just going to have kind of the same, be in the kind of the same area that he that he is. It's not going to really elevate him until he's really getting that, that high level team success that, his production should really warrant. Two questions to end on. Um, they don't really have answers, so I'm just going to say them. One is something we talked about, but I want to state it very clearly. Can Jason Kidd figure out this very talented group that has a lot of permutations? Can he figure them out? Can he figure out the right sequence and the right uh, you know, lineups that makes all the talent on this team that is somewhat disconnected from each other, still sort of has a who's the third best player problem. Can he mesh it all together? Can he fit it together that it actually makes sense and they keep winning games and they're able to advance at least one round of the postseason? And the second question, again, no way to answer this, but it's a huge question. Does Kyrie Irving stay healthy? Because as optimistic as I am down the stretch of the season that they at least have all these pieces that fit together, I do think quite a bit of it unravels if Irving is hurt uh, in a way that, you know, the trade deadline and Exum's return, those things might minimize it a little bit, but they would not fix it. And I think the team still has a big problem if Kyrie Irving is not available for 
90, 85% of the, the remaining games of the season. Yeah, I think... And there we have it. Go. Yeah, I think to speak to Kid, it's... He... I think he's been good at figuring out lamps when he has good players. I think he's... I would agree with that. When, when he's had bad players and try to mismatch, it's been all over the place. He's not someone who's going to optimize bad teams. Don't think that's his strong shoot. I think fortunately with the players that he has right now, not a lot of bad lineup combinations, not a lot of things that are like explicitly, I think are going to be harmful. I think more than anything than, than figuring out lineups is going to be managing personalities, managing expectations for guys who don't get as many minutes as they're, as they're used to getting. Um, I think it's going to be, that's going to be kind of his, his role. He's really going to have to manage the team um, more than he's ever had to do in his tenure here. I think the rotation, I think he figures out, I think where he may struggle is maybe the in games, those, those big games and those uh, in game management. Maybe that's where he falters a little bit, you know, this, the schemes or maybe managing runs, managing runs with timeouts, but it's really hard to know. They, they have a lot of players. They have legitimately 11 NBA players that can play in a rotation and they're going to play in a rotation. Not many teams have that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. But I'm cautiously optimistic on the rotations alone just because I just don't think – I don't think there's a lot of guys that can play out of position. I think there's a lot of guys who fit position and fit role that are – pretty clear and obvious to everyone involved. It's just about who gets to play when and how much they play. Yeah. For, I I think I I hear you. And I think, I think winning more than a, maybe winning a round, especially if they aren't able to get out of, you know, say sixth and end up with the Clippers, even winning a round is going to take the right combinations because it's, it's that third. Who's the third best player? Are they talented? You, you got to get the right mix of talent uh, on the floor in those circumstances. Certainly winning more than a round. Lots going to fall on that. But I agree with you just generally. They're pretty, you know, there's not going to be bad lineups on the floor. They just got to be the right lineups. Yeah. And that's that's why he gets the big bucks. That is a... <laughs> that, the, you know, you could call him the only Mavericks coach. I we could. The only, the only Mavericks coach. At this exact moment, there is certainly no questioning that he is the only Dallas Mavericks head coach. Hey, he's and he's watching just just like us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Austin, thanks for popping on. Listeners, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Hey, how's it going? What? What do you mean dozens? You sound insane. No, you're confused. Have you heard the song? Yeah, this is the only Mavericks podcast to exist ever. This is the only Mavericks podcast.